Hello, 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 beautiful people. Welcome to the paradox of Oz. Racism ain't rational. For those of you joining us, uh, this is episode two. Um, if, you if you checked out episode one, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. This is all very new to me and also very exciting, something I've always wanted to do. And here we go. So we're back and I wanted to touch on a few things that we talked about in episode one, where I mentioned that I did, um, I recognized that I had an anger management problem and decided to kind of do some self-help. And I started reading some books and a couple of the books that I mentioned uh, was Anger is a Choice, but I didn't have the author. And so the author of that book is Tim LaHaye. And the second book was called The Spirit-Controlled Temperament, also by Tim LaHaye. And I just wanted to make sure that I clarified those things so that you would have the uh, correct information. Um, as I began this particular episode, I talked about racism. I said, racism ain't rational. And I got that because a friend of mine, JT, was helping me through something as I was trying to work through my feelings due to recent events and just trying to really get a grasp of understanding. As I uh, indicated before, I am an engineer by education. So things have to make sense to me. Things have to have some sort of logic to them. And I try to get everything down to its simplest point. And, you know, obviously, sometimes when you're dealing with emotional things, it's very difficult to do that. But I've been able to, throughout the years, have multiple conversations and ask lots of questions and really try to get an understanding of certain things. And that is when my friend said, well, JT, that is. And she says, well, racism ain't rational. And it made me start thinking about what that really means. If you don't already know, <laughs> I am basically almost a 50-year-old Black woman born here in these United States of America. And the simplest explanation I can give you for racism ain't rational is the term African-American. I find it insulting. It's actually one of the very first things that I debated on when I was in college, because at that time there was this, this was what, in the 90s, where it was Afro-American, Black American, uh, African-American, it was all these different things. And I remember saying, why is there a disclaimer on being an American? I was born here in America, so why am I not considered just American? Why is it that the term American only refers to white people? That didn't make sense to me because racism isn't rational. Because you can't rationalize someone having a disclaimer on being American. There's Hispanic American, Asian American, all these different terms for people who were born right here in America. I felt that it was a way to separate us, to make us different, to make the minorities in this country feel like they are less than and that they are not worthy of the classification of America. Why? 
because racism ain't rational. I grew up um, going to pretty much diverse schools. Um, far back as I can remember, I went to uh, an elementary school where I was bused because my mom wanted to make sure she sent me to a private school when I was in my fourth, fifth, sixth grade. When I went to middle school, we um, went to the counselor and they, she, we were in, I was getting enrolled in school. So my mom is there and I'm sitting in front of the counselor and the counselor says, my, you have really good grades, good, good scores. Uh, there was a standardized test. I don't remember the name of it. Again, this was the 90s for those of you who uh, like to do that research, but I don't remember the name of it. But there were these standardized tests that we took. And because of the results of this test, apparently I qualified to take advanced placement classes, a.k.a. AP English, AP Calculus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they enrolled me in these classes. And so when I got into the class, um, I was surrounded by kids who took education and studying quite seriously. For them, getting an A was the only acceptable terms. And I remember getting my first progress report and I remember seeing all C's. <laughs> and everyone else, I think I was one of, I don't know, three kids that fell into that category. Everybody else was in the A's category. And if anybody had a B, they were very emotional about it. Well, I decided right then, well, I can't be the only one getting C's now. I need to be up there with the A's. So that was the first time I actually set a goal, applied myself and decided that I was going to become one of these A students. And every quarter I set a goal. The first goal was, all right, we going for all Bs. And then I would work, work, work until I got, you know, I was getting Bs and Cs and then I was getting all Bs and a C. And then eventually I ended up with all Bs. And this went on through my high school years, into my high school years. And then by the time I graduated, I never made it to straight A's, but I ended up with all A's and one B. So my GPA, I think, was a 3.8, 3.9, something like that. Wasn't quite a 4.0, very disappointed. But being um, in school and studying and learning and working and setting a goal was how I thought the world worked. You worked hard, you achieved a goal, and you were rewarded for it. So, of course, the reward here was a diploma. Well, I was not fortunate enough to get scholarships to any of the schools that I wanted, and I ended up going to community college. And part of the community college process was you selected your major and then you went to a counselor and they made sure that the classes that you were signed up for, that you had met the prerequisites to. So I go, I sit down with the counselor and at that time I had decided that I was going to be uh, studying electrical engineering. 
And the story behind that was one of my best friends in high school, uh, our AP calculus teacher went around the room and asked everybody what they wanted to do um, and what college they wanted to go to and what their plans for the future. Well, child, I did not have any plans. I hadn't thought about my future. I hadn't thought about what school I was gonna go to. I hadn't thought about any of that. So I was like, uh-oh, what am I gonna say? Well, luckily, one of my good friends went before me and he stated that he was gonna be an electrical engineer, have his own engineering firm. He was going to the University of Maryland and he had it all laid out. And so of course, when they got to me, I said, sure, I can do that too. And that's how I decided to become an electrical engineer. So now I'm at the counselor and this man, white man, looks at me and says, oh, you wanna study electrical engineering, do you? And I said, yes, that, that is correct. That's what I wrote down, yes, that's it. And he says to me, well, you know, you have to be good at math and science. I said, yeah, copy that. And he says, are you good at math and science? I said, I do, I. He said, well, I need to check your high school transcripts to make sure that you meet the prerequisites. I, so he comes back with this look of surprise on his face and he looks at me and he says, how do you manage to get good grades? And I went, uh, cause I studied, what kind of question is that? Well, looking back on it now, racism ain't rational. Maybe he looked at this young black girl and said, huh, she wants to be an engineer. Is that a stereotype of most black people that we are stupid and unintelligent? And I also have my friend JT uh, told me the same thing. She went to do a you know technical engineering kind of thing. And I think they recommended she should be in nursing or something. I don't know, something stupid. Instead of just saying, great, let's see what you need to do to get there. So of course, I was an excellent student. I ended up at a four-year university on a scholarship. I got a scholarship for minor women, minorities in math and science. So again, this was back in the early 90s. And so when I was at community college, my science teacher uh, pulled me aside and said, I think you need to apply for this scholarship. And she helped me apply for it. And it also helped that I was ex-military at that time because I went into the military right after high school. But child, that's another episode, honey. We can't talk about that now. So anyway, now I'm in college. And once again, this is how the world, this is how I thought the world worked. You know, I thought you study, you work hard, you you set goals and you achieve them. Well, as an adult, I began to understand, I learned very quickly that that's not always the case. And so I found that as a young black woman, I was kind of branded the stereotypical terms that you hear about black women the sassy, angry, aggressive, loud, uncontrollable, wild. Because the objective wasn't for me to be who I was. The objective was for me to be who they thought I should be. 
And I became a rebel at quite an early age, probably in my early 20s. I refused to conform because one of my coworkers told me one time, Lolita, you're not getting anywhere unless you suck up to the white man. And I remember going, well, it looks like I'm not going anywhere because that is not what I'm going to do. So I became the smart one. I read all the manuals. I did all the training. And that's who I became. And so I'll never forget, I was uh, at work at Two-Faced Productions. And my overseer told me that I was too ethnic. Now, for those of you non-blacks, what that means is I was too black. I'm not really sure what that meant, but I interpreted that as I'm not white enough. And so this is the layer of skin that starts to build as a young black woman being told that I'm not good enough, that I'm too black, I'm not white enough, I'm not sucking up enough. And this is where my strong black woman character comes from. Because we have to be strong as black women because we're constantly put down, we're constantly told that we're this and we're that, and we just can't simply be. I remember Another incident where I was working at Two-Face Productions and we had a uh, career track, right? What do you want to be? Okay, I want to be this. And they pull out the career track and say, here are all the things that you need to do. Copy that. So I worked toward doing all of those things. And I will never forget, I had a supervisor look me in my face and say, I'm not going to promote you. Yes, I'm purposely putting in the dramatic pause because that's exactly what I did. And I remember thinking, I don't know what that means. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? Well, you're not doing it my way. You're not doing what I want. This is what I did to get promoted. But I'm not you, I replied. Why is it that I can't just follow the guidelines and be promoted? Why do I have to be like you when I am not you? My entire life, I've had to fight for my individuality. I've had to fight to be me, only to be rejected because I refuse to conform. Isn't it better to let someone be who they are and maximize their potential by putting them where they excel at? Can't force someone to excel in an area that they're not good at. So I've been a fighter my entire life. I'm kind of like uh, Sophia. So what was her name? Sophia from uh, The Color Purple. All my life I had to fight. And that's me. And I'm still fighting today. Just recently, 
I was at Two Faced Productions and I was an overseer. And I was the only female overseer. And I was typically um, the only black overseer. And then within this company, overseers come and go. People move, people move in, people move out. People get promoted, they go to, 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 to other companies. And I remember being part of this team where for the first time in my entire adult life, I was part of a team of overseers where we were majority women and we were majority minority women. We had one Latina and two Blacks. And let me tell you, we all got along great. It was the, it was the best time ever. We understood each other. We knew how to support each other. It was a perfect environment. Now, I understand that everybody can't stay in the same place for the rest of their lives. But just when we started clicking, just when we started making magic happen, they split us up. And they didn't just take one away. They took two away. And once again, I was left alone as the only female overseer surrounded by men. So not only do I have to deal with racism, being a black woman, I have to deal with sexism because I work with nothing but men. But that's a whole nother podcast. I mean, we're not going into that. That's another, that's a whole nother episode, honey, working with the men's child. That's a whole nother episode. But I feel that through recent events, I can provide you with tons of examples of why racism isn't rational. Because when there are issues and someone has to confront me and tell me they wanna know something or they need me to do something. And the first question I always ask is why? It's not about me per se. Well, technically it is because I'm the one asking the question why. But I feel as though when people are challenged and they don't have the answers, that's when it comes out. It's like, I'm challenging their supremacy in some weird way because I'm asking questions. Me asking questions was interpreted as me being combative, me being argumentative. And no matter how many times I said, I don't understand, people just assume that I'm supposed to read their minds and understand what it is that they're trying to say. But I've grown to understand that the reason why people can't articulate their problems with me is because racism isn't rational. Because when you can't explain it and you don't understand it yourself, why do I get the brunt of the punishment? Yes, I am a strong black woman because I don't have a choice. I'm beat up, beat down, told to conform, people trying to make me into something that I'm not. And I'm constantly arguing about just being who I am, defending who I am as an individual. I'm 
I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm not trying to impress people. I'm trying to come in, do a job, and go home. But I can't do that because I have to constantly make other people feel comfortable. When I stand up, when I ask questions, I got to make sure they're worded correctly so as to not offend someone, as to make someone uncomfortable. Because God forbid, as an overseer, the fact that you can't deal with conflict means you really probably shouldn't be in that position anyway. The fact that you can't talk to your staff about what it is that you need them to do means that you really shouldn't be in that position anyway. Your title doesn't make you a dictator. It doesn't mean that everything comes out of your mouth and that's just the way it is. Sometimes people have questions. I am not afraid to ask those questions. As I mentioned in my last episode, the United States is divided along these racial lines. And one of the things is this fear of black people that we're gonna come in and ruin the suburbs. And that for some reason, because we have a criminal record or because we had a drug bust back in the eighties that we deserve to be shot and killed in the streets. It always interests me that we'll spend all this time justifying why a police officer shoots and kills an unarmed black man, but yet we know everything about the dead man, but we don't know anything about the shooter. Why? Because racism isn't rational. These are the questions that I have. I like to look at both sides of the story. I'm an engineer by nature. That's my education. Logic, things have to make sense. And when it doesn't make sense, I ask lots of questions. So my question is, why is it okay to shoot someone because they have warrants? Why is that justified? Why are we even trying to explain it? The dead man is the victim. Doesn't make any sense. It's not rational. I believe that the reason why my brothers and sisters are out in the streets being abused, shot, beat up is because they don't see us as the people. They see us as animals. They see us as argumentative, combative, angry, all these things I've heard. The only difference is my interactions aren't with the police, but by the very people that I work for. So they may not be able to shoot me in the streets, but they can shoot out my career. They can prevent me from being promoted and they can fire me for no reason. This is why racism isn't rational. So if you find yourself thinking about why and not getting the answers that you seek, remember racism isn't rational. Don't ruin your mental health trying to understand the instability and the insecurities of those still trying to oppress and keep us down. But we rise up, we take the beatings, we take the abuse, we still show up to work 
and we still show up for you. We still show up for this country. We die for this country. We fight for this country, even though this country doesn't seem to want to fight for us. Well, that, my friends, is the end of my rant on racism isn't rational. And that's episode two. And as you know, that means I have 48 more episodes to go in less than four months. All right, ladies and gentlemen, beautiful people, have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. Until next time.